Welcome to Criminal Justice News with the Justice Policy Institute. For more information, please visit our website, www.justicepolicy.org, or Facebook or Twitter at Justice Policy. Today, we are having a conversation on what it means to be a mother in prison. We are in Baltimore, Maryland, and we'll be speaking to women who live and work in this community. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to the Marion House here in Baltimore for welcoming us and letting us use this space. My name is Madeline Titus. I'm a student at American University and an intern with the Justice Policy Institute. Hi, I'm Katie Alston. I am the executive director here at Marion House. I am a social worker and I have been here 12 years. Hi, I'm Carol Hartman, and I'm a resident of the Marion House. I've been at Marion House since August, and before that I was incarcerated for 22 years in the women's prison here in Maryland. My name is Kimberly Haven. I am a formerly incarcerated person who now does criminal justice reform and advocacy in the state of Maryland and have been doing it for 20 years. Here are some quick facts to put things into perspective. The United States contains about 5% of the world's population, but holds about 25% of the world's prisoners. While total prison population has gone down in recent years, most of that has been a drastically different experience for men and women. The United States contains 4% of the world's female population, but holds 30% of the world's incarcerated women. While women make up a smaller portion of the total prison population, according to the prison policy initiative, nationwide women's state prison populations grew 834% over 40 years, which has more than doubled the rate of growth among men, and continues to grow in many states today, making women the fastest growing segment of the incarcerated population. The Sentencing Project reported that 73% of women in state prisons experience mental health concerns, 60% of women have a history of drug dependency, and 57% of women report that they experience sexual or physical abuse before their admission to prison. A 2005 study found that 98% of women in jails had been exposed to various forms of trauma in their lifetime. Women are often survivors of violence as well. The one-size-fits-all model of criminal justice reform is ineffective in addressing female mass incarceration. Mother's Day is coming up. 62% of women in prison are mothers of minor children, and more often than not, the primary caretakers. To start this conversation, Caroline and Kim, how did you see your identity as a mother impact your time in prison and of those around you? Well, it was kind of difficult for me because my boys were 10 and 14 when I first went to prison. I was divorced from my first husband and I had custody of them, so they were with me all the time and all of a sudden they weren't with me. <laughs> and it was very a difficult transition for me because I was very active and involved in their life. and. I'm not from the state of Maryland. I moved here because of my first husband's job, and then I met my second husband here. So I don't have family in Maryland, and my boys, of course, went to live with their father, who had then subsequently left the state of Maryland. And so they were no longer in the state of Maryland, and so that was a problem in visiting. My parents had to come down from New Jersey and pick my boys up from their father's house and bring them to visit me. So it was like only once a month that I would get to see my boys for many, many years until my oldest son turned 18. At that time, he was recognized as an adult by the prison system, and then he could just pick up his brother and they could come whenever they felt like, and then they came much more often mm -hmm. to see me. And 
women that live here in Maryland, that their families are right here, they would have more contact with their children than I did. But even then, it was difficult. It was often heartbreaking, especially women that had very small children, to see their little children crying as they had to leave because their one-hour visit was up, and that's all we had was one hour. And the mothers would be in tears, and the little children would be in tears, and they would have to almost pry them off their mothers sometimes to take them out of that visiting room when the time was up for their visit. And my boys, even though they were young, they were actually older, so we didn't have those tearful moments. So it was hard seeing that. And I know some women came into the institution pregnant, and they gave birth in the institution. And you had one hour with your baby, and then that's it. Someone from your family had to pick the baby up and take custody of it, or it went to social services. And that's it. And I know, you know, that time that's spent with a child, the baby, when they're an infant, is just so important, especially if someone's going through the postpartum blues type thing. It's very difficult. You see your baby for an hour, and it's gone. That's it. And they did have a program there, but it was only once a week where a baby bonding program where they would come in for a couple hours once a week. That still isn't very much time to spend with your child. It was very difficult for those women who gave birth in prison. And oftentimes their children really didn't know that. If they were there for any length of time, whoever their caregiver was at the time, that's who they related to. And the mother, and that was another thing that was um, sad that I would see. Somebody would be so excited, oh, you know, my children are coming, and, uh, you know, my boyfriend or my husband or whomever is bringing my baby, and the baby would actually cry because the mother was a stranger. And then the mother, the woman would get very upset. He's like, why does my child hates me? Because they just didn't spend enough time with them that they were a stranger to the child. And that was another very difficult to, to watch that. And it was difficult for my boys being separated from me, as it is for any child being separated from their mother. Even though they were living with their father, it wasn't the same. And one of my roommates over the course of the time that I was there had actually been born in the prison. Her mother was an inmate and was pregnant with her, and she had been born there, not at the prison, but while her mother was incarcerated there. But the grandmother raised her, but the grandmother, was, she told me her grandmother was older and, and couldn't take care of her. And she said at the age of two, she started running the streets. She was on her own, basically, at the age of two. And she really had no upbringing because her mother had been incarcerated for a very long time before she finally did come home. So she was older you know, when the mother finally did come home and she really didn't know her mother. And she never learned things, you know, simple things. Like I taught her how to make a bed. She didn't even know how to make a bed. And that's the kind of thing that happens when mothers are separated from their children and somebody else is the caregiver. They may not give the kind of care that that child really needs, the basic needs that someone needs growing up. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think exactly what Carol said plays out for the majority of women. One of the things that is also true is we don't 
tell children what's going on. And so Carol and I both know women who their children thought that they were in college Mm -hmm. um, because you didn't want to tell your kids that your mom's going to prison. Or my best one was the army. Like somehow you woke up that morning and decided you were going to enlist and that's how it was and you just went away and you'd be back in three years or five years. And again, it was all designed to protect the child. But in doing that, the relationship becomes completely different. And as Carol said, whoever the caretaker is for that child is how the child is raised. And it creates problems down the road when mom gets to come home or when mom is trying to be that mom. I think one of the most important things is that just because you go to prison, you don't lose your identity as a mom. You don't lose your role as a mom. And our prisons across the board need to do better. And there are strategies. There are things that can be done to nurture and to continue to create and facilitate those bonds. And we don't do them. Um, And that's what I'm hoping that this podcast might shine a light on is some of the strategies and Carol and I both know people that were amazing moms. Um, of course, we were two of them. Um, but amazing moms and, and doing simple things for and with our children that if we took the time to create a real parenting program would be beneficial for both the mother, the caregivers, and certainly the children. Do you know any specific examples of that Absolutely. program? I knew a friend of mine who every night without fail. She called her children at bedtime and she read them a good night story. Every single night she read them a good night story. I know another woman who every day, as soon as the phones came back on after count, she called and did homework with her children. Every single day. I know moms who, I have a friend of mine who taught her child how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the phone (laughs) to do laundry on the phone. I mean, there are ways that we could do this. We need to give permission for women to do these things, to expose them to these ideas, and to facilitate that level of communication. Based on these examples, is parenting something that the corrections institution itself should help foster, or should it be up to individual women? Well, Madeline, I, I would just say that, that, I mean, just the fact that they can only spend an hour mm-hmm. on the visit, I mean, that alone, right. why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to limit that time? Is it because of the other, you know, very constructive activities that the women are going to be doing the other 23 hours a day? No. So uh, there's no reason for that. It's overcrowding, basically, is what it is. The, prison, the prisons are overcrowded and understaffed, and there's only so many hours that they can devote towards visits. So we're limited to one hour. And yet I would now disagree can... with that. Because while what you said is true, mm-hmm. that is no excuse. Right. And I'm tired of the excuses. And so... There is no programming. So it takes the will of leadership because there's not enough volunteers that come in to be able to do these very things. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just say you're preparing somebody to come to like a Marion house or to be released to a, some other residential program or to go home. There's nobody doing
doing that. It's going to take a commitment on the part of leadership to be able to say, this is important and we're going to make this happen because we hid behind the overcrowding, mm-hmm. the staffing. We can do things. Other countries do it better than we do. Yeah. Other states do it better than we do. We can do better and we have to do better. Mm-hmm. One thought too, for example, would be those women who give birth mm-hmm. and who, mm-hmm. if that's their first child, having someone or some programming in the prison that would help them to think of ways, like you just mentioned, Kim, those great moms that you knew who were making those phone calls. These women don't necessarily know how to connect mm-hmm. with right. their child who isn't in their custody while they're in prison. They need help figuring out how to do that. And then, of course, the other unfortunate thing is sometimes the people who are caring for the child on the outside are not supportive of those mm-hmm. relationships developing. Right. And that's certainly what we see here at Marion House. We have time and time again see women come to us who do have young children who have not had their young children in their custody for many, many years because of incarceration or even other things. And they're ready, they're willing, they want to be a mom. They might not have the skills, but then they also might not be getting a return phone call from that family member who has been caring for their child for the past four years. As a mom myself, there's a part of me that can understand it's got to be a little terrifying for that person who's been caring for that child to have mom suddenly come back into the picture when you have been playing mom, especially when you're developing a close bond. But that's it's a tough thing for women to navigate. It isn't that they come home and are necessarily welcomed into that, whether it's the child might not welcome them. Mm-hmm. It could be that the custodial parent, you know, whoever is parenting that child might not welcome them. And then there's the fact that even if they are welcomed, they're potentially a stranger. The other thing that's important to know is that when you come home, when a woman comes home, and this is how women and men and incarceration is so vastly different. When a woman comes home, she's expected to, the day she hits the ground, be a mom, be a daughter, be a wife, be a whatever, go get a job, do all these kinds of things. And so you want to step back in and be a mom, but you've been a ghost. Even if you've had a good relationship with your kid, you've called the kid every day, someone else has been that disciplinary, someone else has been the authoritative figure. And so you go home and we're not telling women, this is what you happened when your kid looks at you and go, well, you've been gone for three years. Why the hell I gotta listen to you? Very real. And we don't prepare people for that. And that is a whole other layer of what we have to do better for mothers who are incarcerated and as they get ready to come home. To go off of that and how the identity of being a mother and also how that impacts your families. I know you've told me when you incarcerate a mother, you incarcerate a family. Mm -hmm. How do you see how that relationship, especially with your child and the mother being incarcerated, how that is then projected onto the child? Well, mothers aren't supposed to go to prison. I mean, that's always been, this is why our prisons are developed for men. And our policies are designed for men. Moms aren't supposed to go to prison. And so when a father goes to prison, the baby's mother takes care of the baby, his mother, his aunt, sister, somebody. But when you incarcerate a mom, you incarcerate the whole family. And that is a very real phenomenon. And so how you deal with that with your child, whether mommy went to the army today, mommy went to college today, or straight up, mom went to prison and I've got to see this through or however it is, those are the things that we have to put into place because all of what we're doing impacts the child, how they function in school. I know another mother who had regular conferences with with the child's teachers every single year. 
the teacher was the only one that knew that mom was incarcerated, but she would be on those parent-teacher calls. She would have those conferences. We need to encourage that sort of stuff because otherwise, when it gets out that your mom's in prison, kids are stigmatized, they are shunned, they are treated differently, and children of incarcerated parents need to be educated differently because of those things. There needs to be a special care when you know that there is something going on in a family dynamic that is going to impact how that child acts in school, potential behavior problems, um, and how they're going to thrive and or not thrive. And it has to be a much more collaborative, and right now, these systems don't talk to each other. Because those are conversations I used to have very frequently with my boys, was, you know, how do you handle the fact that you have a mom in prison? Is this a problem for you? Do you feel like people treat you differently? Is this something that your friends even know? Do you even tell your friends that your mom is in prison kind of thing? And they said, yeah, we're just, we were very, we're open and honest with our friends. Yeah, you know, we're living with our dad now, but our mom's in prison. I, I think perhaps because of the reason why I was there, it made a little difference to them because, um, they, they kind of feel like I was a victim of the system. Not only was, you know, did I, I do something, but I was also a victim of the system, and it failed me all the way around, and eventually I ended up in prison. I was in a, an abusive, my second husband was abusive, and I think that gave them a more positive aspect on mom being in prison than I saw with the dynamic with some of the other ladies that I knew and listened to them and them pouring their hearts out about relationships they had with their children. Because if they were in active addiction and they were always running around chasing the high and leaving the child to fend for themselves, their children were often resentful towards mm -hmm. them. Because of that, and even though now mommy isn't getting high anymore and mommy wants to go home and continue to be clean and be a part of your life, the child still is holding that resentment against their mother. And then that's very hard for some of the ladies to overcome that resentment that their child has for them, where my boys never had that. And we often did talk and have those deep kind of conversations because I just knew it was it, it was something that we needed to do because I knew I had such a long time that I was going to be away from them. I can't wait until I get out to have these conversations. We have to have them now. Well, we have to, we have you to expect the resentment. Like I said, you know, you're not the boss of me. You've been gone for so many years. And there is resentment. Moms aren't supposed to go to prison. You went to prison. You left me. Mm -hmm. And we don't equip women to be able to manage that emotion. Because um, there's a lot of guilt. It's, I carried a lot of guilt. Like I felt, God, yes. I, I felt like I abandoned my children. Mm -hmm. Basically, that I had that and guilt. And that's kids see it too. And, and that I, you abandoned right. Them. And I used to talk to the counselors there a lot about that. And I, I almost had this fear of coming out. And I, and I often asked them if they felt like I abandoned, if they had any like you know resentment towards me. And they kept assuring me over and over, no, mom, no, no, no. And you know, since being out, like it's been eight months that I. I've been out of prison they're just like falling over top of themselves to do stuff for me and it's and there is absolutely no resentment there and I'm just so relieved you know because I had this real fear of coming out and it's 
like, yeah, they might put on a happy face for that one hour that they see me in the visiting room, but now that we're seeing each other all the time, the resentments and stuff are going to come up, and it's not there. And I think it is because we kept that bonding going, right. which, like you say, not every mother does. Well, and I think the other thing that plays into it, too, is how long you're gone, mm-hmm. um, what the life was like before you went in, mm-hmm. and when you come home. Because I think that it is erroneous for anyone to believe that the minute they leave, they can step back in and to be a mom. Um, you can, but that resentment, if, especially if you haven't been gone as long as, as you were, Carol, mm-hmm. um, and you had the opportunity to, to the limited extent that was available right. to be able to create that bonding, for the most part, women are not doing these long sentences. And so a three-year sentence, a five-year sentence, no one really has the opportunity to process that resentment or that right. guilt, and it does play out. And that's why the whole transition process out of prison into, you know, like a Marion house, into, you know, some sort of supportive kind of transition process for moms particularly um, mm-hmm. is so crucial. And it leads to better outcomes for the family. And it's also a weapon in, you know, breaking off that playground to prison pipeline. Although, what sometimes happens is a woman is released and kids don't understand, why am I still living with grandma? Right. You aren't in prison anymore. Right. But our community and our systems are not set up for women to just be able to walk out of a prison and get a job and a home to then actually be able Mm -hmm. to get those children back as quickly as possible and get them back to a state of normality. And that is one of the huge ways that we're failing women in our community and especially women coming out of incarceration, of course. And the children don't understand. They don't understand. Mm -hmm. You came to grandma's for dinner. Right. Why am I not living with you now? I'm sick of grandma. <laughs> She's old, whatever. You know, I mean, I'm just, of course, using that as an example. And it takes time to get a job. It takes time to, and then we, I mean, we've had women who've come to Marion House who, it hasn't even just been that. It's been that if the child ended up in foster care, mm-hmm. we have to help them kind of navigate a court system just to get mm-hmm. supervised visitation with their own child. Even though the reality is they have been released from incarceration. Their incarceration had absolutely nothing to do with their status as a mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have served their time. They have come back to the community. Why do they need to go to court to be able to see their own child? But it's because they've had to enter into that system. Mm -hmm. So certainly a part of me, especially as a mom myself, I understand there's someone out there who's been caring for your kid for however long you've been incarcerated and you're a stranger to them. And I understand that these things aren't very simple, but uh, it's, it's, it's a long road. What are the conditions in order to regain custody for a child post-release? It really does depend on where that child is, who they're with, if they're part of, say, the foster system, or if they're being cared for by a relative who may have assumed custody to have all the rights that they needed to care for that child. I mean, that family member may be perfectly happy and excited that that woman is going to be back in the picture. Mm-hmm. But they may not. It really, it often depends. We've seen women who, when it's the sister who has been caring for that child pretty much since birth, and the child is, say, seven years old now, and the sister has never had any children of her own. And so 
that right there makes it more complicated than if that sister, say, had three children of her own and was caring for her sister's child while she was incarcerated. So did they keep in touch during that time? Did the sister visit? All, you know, it's all about the dynamics of those relationships, both before the incarceration, during the incarceration, ultimately play into then how it is going to be after. And I think that point of two, how, how life was in general, whether that when addiction comes into play, perhaps even before the incarceration, the relationship was strained, not just with the children, but maybe with the person who ultimately is caring for your children now. So those resentments, both on the part of the child and also the caregiver of the child, are really hard to navigate. And what we see women often they're just so happy to be home which is great and wonderful and they should be that has been the hurdle they've been looking towards they just have to get out they just have to get out and they just have to make it through that time or maybe navigate that court system because they're trying to get out early and when that happens when they get home and it's understandable they're elated they haven't necessarily thought about how hard it's going to be so that's where coming to a place like Marion House, if you don't have a supportive family environment, is wonderful because we've got the people here. When they come in feeling great and three weeks later are like, oh crap, my sister has not returned a single one of my phone calls. What is going on? I'm so sad. I want to see my daughter. And they're in tears and understandably upset. We can provide them with the therapy we need. We can help maybe set up a family session and bring the sister in and try to really help everyone work ultimately to the goal of getting the family healthy again. And honestly, that's what we should be doing before a woman even leaves prison, because not everybody has the ability to come to a Marion house. Um, Marion house exists in Baltimore city. So somebody going to one of our Eastern or Western counties doesn't have access to that. And so before they leave that very same strategy that is here to bring those people together, to bring all the players together, to begin to do that kind of healing and that transition we don't do and we can do it and we should be doing it because then if they do get into a program it just continues and the family becomes stronger through that healing but we don't do it at all from prison yeah what would be one piece of advice that you would give to moms who see themselves in this situation right now or who this was their situation and it's been 10 years and they're still grappling with the trauma what it means to be a mom in prison I would tell them just never give up because you are going to have a lot of obstacles and you're going to have a lot of doors slammed in your face. This was extremely cruel after I got incarcerated because it, it was a nasty divorce to start with. And so he did everything possible to keep the boys away from me. But family members and friends made sure that that, that connection remained strong. So it's like you never give up, you know, and, and as, as Kim said, do whatever it takes. Write letters to your child every day. Call them on the phone every day if that's feasible. If not, as much as that you can afford. When I was first incarcerated, a phone call cost $20 for 15 minutes. Now it only costs 50 cents for half an hour because of the recent changes in the way, like Kim said, prisons are big business. They were making money off those phone calls which they're legally not allowed to do anymore. So yeah, there was a big difference there. I really couldn't afford to call my sons every night, whereas nowadays a mother can. And so yes, I would encourage mothers to do whatever they can to keep that bond and to keep it strong. Well, and I think that women need to remember, not just remember, women need to know 
that just because you went to prison, you're not a bad mom. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the other things that we as advocates that are out here fighting for these reforms, we have to be watchful is every time a division of corrections or public safety or whatever, any state's system it refers to it as, there's now a movement to stop visitations because they don't want those face-to-face. They don't want, Mm -hmm. and they'll cite security reasons, which is just straight-up BS. They want video. And there's no way to maintain any sort of relationship on a video. But it's a practice that is sweeping the country, and we as advocates need to draw a hard line and say this is not conducive to reentry, it's not conducive to family bonds, and it is not conducive to public safety. I just want to thank these three amazing women for joining me today. Criminal justice reform for women especially has a long road ahead of us, but by having these conversations, we can bring in new perspectives and voices that haven't been heard. Stay tuned for part two on Mothers in Prison as Kim, Katie, and Carol join us and talk about community support and future policy changes.